Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. All right, I invite you to get out your copy of God's Word and turn to actually to Matthew this time, not falsely to Matthew, but actually to Matthew chapter 7. We are continuing our march through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus and his teaching. Uh, Very interesting, uh, just the, we're framing this, uh, how the king's people live like the king's people. And that's coming out of, you read the first several chapters of Matthew, and Matthew is intentionally gathering this information and pointing to the Davidic rule of Jesus, that he comes from this lineage as king. And so now we go into his kingdom speech of not necessarily as prophet, but really as king. And so here is the king speaking and how his people ought to live. So this is Matthew chapter 7, and we're looking at verses 7 through 11. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. A rich one of you If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Grass withers, flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. You know, kids really know how to ask a question. They really know how to appeal to their parents for what they want. Um, if you have a kid who, you know, and you're in the middle of a conversation, it's, does anybody else watch Bluey? Like the Bluey explosion? Like Bluey's got bandit, the dad's got a great time. He's talking with his kid and he's saying, if, if you want to talk to me and I'm talking to someone else, let's do this. Why don't you come up and place your hand on my arm and then if I know you're there, I'll put my hand on yours, and that means when I'm done talking, then I'll, then I'll listen to you, <laughs> which is like hilarious because Bluey's trying to resolve the problem for all of us as parents, which is, kid, chill out. I'll get to you when it's your turn because kids know how to ask, and the way they do it is they just keep asking, 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 and then, you know, maybe you've had this happen. If, if they, they want to ask you something, but they can't find you, they find you, that they seek. Not only will they keep asking, keep on asking, if you have gone down and I'm in my detached garage, you know, somewhere doing something and they have a question, they know how to find me to ask, I don't know, if they can spend Roblox money or something like that. They know how to find you. They know how to ask. They know how to find you. And then you get tired of answering the question, and so you go lock yourself in your bathroom or your bedroom. Like, I'm just gonna, I don't want to answer this question. What do they do? They're at the door knocking immediately. They are there knocking. You lose all sense of privacy when it comes to kids 
that you have to get locks on your bathroom door because I never had this problem before when Darla and I lived alone. If you're in the bathroom, you're just kind of left alone until you get kids. And then if you're, in, you're behind a closed door, they want in. And so they're there knocking. So this illustration that Jesus uses, I mean, you don't even have to be a parent to understand you've been around nieces and nephews and you've seen this happen or been a kid yourself and know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is speaking of the attitude we ought to have when it comes to inquiring of our Father in heaven. The big idea from this morning is that we have a God who hears and who delights as Father to do good for his people and who is wise enough to know exactly what good is. He is a good father who is eager to hear the requests of his children and eager to do good for them and also is wise enough to know exactly what good is. And we'll unpack that the rest of this morning. But I think first we have to ask, why is this encouragement to prayer here? Like Jesus has had a previous section on prayer, right? And in fact, we're going to look at Luke in a little bit. But in, in Lucan's, uh, the Lucan version of a sermon Jesus gives where he talks about the Sermon on the Mount, he then immediately puts this section of how to ask a father. But Matthew gathers this section right here. Why, why now? Why at this point? It, you know, we've had the Lord's Prayer and then we've gone on. And now we're back to a reminder almost of you need to pray. You need to beseech your God for help. And I think there's a very practical reason for placing, for Matthew placing this prayer in this section. And while it's likely that Jesus said much more than just these things in his sermon, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, is putting this at this specific spot. It best fits with the character of Jesus and the point that needs to be made. And so why? Well, at this point, in the Sermon on the Mount, our sovereign king has laid out a lot of directives. Like, it's very easy to mistake what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And that's why, you know, I tried to have stress as we've tried to stress as we go through this. This is not how you become one of the king's people. This is about how those who are the king's people live like the king's people. Because there's a lot of directives. And it's very easy to get the Sermon on the Mount and to think, okay... Here's my checklist. These are all the things I'm supposed to do to become one of God's children, to become, to get in God's favor. Here's my list of to-dos. And it's very common to read the Sermon on the Mount that way. And so if, if that is our temptation, it seems to me really helpful. It is for me personally at this point for Jesus to clarify this relationship between uh, our, what we do and our relationship with him, because it's 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 tempting to think, because we're very self-sufficient people. Don't be offended. We're very arrogant people. Think we've you know we're very confident people, and it's very tempting to think that that the king's people ought to first establish the relationship with their king, and then go get to work. Here's your to-do list that we are out to go and accomplish. And it's, it's often the mindset that's been brought into the family of God. It's a, it's a, it is, and the danger here with this 
the danger with this issue is that if you read this as a to-do list, you are quite quickly crushed. Very quickly crushed. That just take last week's passage, for example, to not judge other people. How did you all do this week on making sure that you judged no one else? You had no harsh word. You always took the plank out of your eye first and never critiqued anyone else on the speck of sin in their own eye. Maybe you nailed it. I doubt it. If you nailed it, that's because you have a giant plank in your eye that thinks you can do it. We, we come, and this, this Sermon on the Mount, in many ways, it does produce in us despair. It does produce in us a, a realization of, if this is how the king's people are supposed to live, you know what I need? A whole lot of help. <laughs> I need a whole lot of help. I can't pull this off. And so, so Jesus then comes back into this realization, this, this plea for us to be in prayer because he knows, and this is one of the commentators that I read said, says this, that the church doesn't need a declaration of independence. As much as we love the declaration of independence. The church, we don't need a declaration of independence. What we need is a declaration of dependence. We are dependent. We need our mighty sovereign king to help us. We want to be the king's people, living like the king's people. And so he comes back into this reality to say to us, now remember, you're not alone in this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you because your good father in heaven, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts how much more does he want to give good gifts to his people and help them? What the king is doing here, what Jesus is doing here, is building a dependent people. We are called to be dependent people. This not the dichotomy or the, the arrangement of the Christian life is not come to Jesus, get forgiven of your sin, and then you better do right or else you're in trouble. Go and go and Prove to God that he made the right choice in saving you by how well you do. There's no delineation here between your salvation and your ongoing sanctification and life to glorify him. He is building in us a dependent people because he is the sovereign king who holds all of the resources and he knows exactly how to deal them out perfectly. You know, it's dangerous for us to make anyone too dependent upon us. I've been in some of my other times in group um, and like at our men's Bible study in the mornings, just, just sharing, with the, um, sharing with the group the real like difficulty it is as a human, having, as a parent, having kids grow up and see them become their own people. Like they, 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 they grow up and they start doing their own things and, and I don't get to micromanage their lives anymore. I lose control of who they are, who they're becoming. They're experiencing life without me. And it's, it's unsettling, which is an evidence of my own idolatry that I think I should run their life and I'm their God and should control everything. It's very dangerous to, to create dependency upon any human being too much. Because why? I've, this might shock you. I mess all kinds of things up. 
And so if I create a system in which the people around me have such incredible dependence upon me, that's a terrible place to put all of you in, to put all of my family in, to put my kids in, that they're entirely dependent upon me because I will fail. I will fall short. I will mess things up. I don't necessarily know exactly what's good and perfect for them. I am so limited. I will fail. I will fall short. But God creates dependence and it's good. Why? He is not limited. He has no bounds. He has no lack of wisdom. He knows exactly what needs to happen in your life to get you to the place of where he wants you to be for his greatest glory and your highest joy in him. He knows perfectly. And so it's good in in distinction between us and God, though we're made in his image. Here's a big distinction. He is boundless. We are bound. And so it is good to make us dependent upon him because he has all the resources. He has all the love for us. He has all the power to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And so the king is building in us a dependent people, a gladly dependent people. He uses three different words of appeal, right? We have the ask, seek, and knock. Some commentators see like an increase in intensity, like you're not just asking, then you go, you, you, you go and seek, and then not just asking and seeking, but you actually go and knock. Maybe that's the case, I don't know. But there's just a clear like loading up of the repetition here of ask, seek, and knock. And then he goes and repeats himself again. He says, ask, and if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, the door will be open. It's just this building up of this triple expression that then is repeated of, of how we are to appeal and to keep on appealing. The, um, it's a present active verb there. So it isn't like a having, a, you know, you've asked, now move on. It's, it's, it's ask and keep on asking. You could say it that way. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. It is an active present verb that, that is ongoing in our lives. The one who asks receives. The one who seeks finds The one who knocks, the door is open. So we run into a few issues that I just want to kind of walk through with us. Because is this passage, is this the Aladdin passage of the Bible? You already know what the movie Aladdin is, right? And it's the genie, he goes into the cave and he finds the the lamp and he, he rubs the lamp three times and all of a sudden he has any wish he wants is now his. Is this the Aladdin passage of the Bible? That now we as God, we, we, whatever you ask, he's going to give you. Whatever you seek for, you're going to find. Whatever door you knock upon is now going to be opened up to you. Does this mean carte blanche? I mean, there's a way to read this. If we isolate this text from the rest of Scripture, there certainly is a way to take this text and say that this is the Aladdin passage of the Bible. This is where you get God is your genie in heaven. That if you, when you appeal to him, it comes out just the way that you want it to. Well, no, this is not the Aladdin passage of the Bible. That's not the answer. If you remember just previously in the Lord's Prayer, if you have it memorized, you remember the prayer that we say, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
that it's a very important part of the prayer, that the prayer is, God, your will be done, in distinction to, in contradiction to, oftentimes, my will be done. So it is not the Aladdin passage of the Bible. It is this, this, uh, this, this um, laying out of, the, of, of directing our focus upon him, but not a carte blanche of, we just get whatever we want. And that is a good thing. Like, I, sometimes, sometimes we think about, wouldn't this prayer, wouldn't this admonition be great if it meant every time we ask for something, God just automatically did it? Wouldn't that be incredible? Like, just whatever you wanted and whatever you wanted to have happen, you asked him, you sought out, you knocked, and then he just did it. Boy, wouldn't that make the world wonderful? But if you think about it, that's a terrifying prospect. To put yourself in the driver's seat of the omniscient God, the all-knowing God, and that you know exactly what needs to happen in every situation or in every scenario of your life, that you know exactly what is best with such confidence that you know that if I ask and God does it, that's the best thing that should happen. That's a very arrogant and probably a very self-deceived um, thought about ourselves. One commentator says, if it were the case that whatever we ask, God would pledge to give, he says, then I, for one, would never pray again. <laughs> if God were obligated to immediately give me whatever I asked for, he says, I would never pray again because I would not have sufficient confidence in my own wisdom to ask God for anything. And he says, I think if you consider it, you will agree. It would impose an intolerable burden on frail human wisdom if by his prayer, God was pledged to give whatever we ask, when we ask it, and exactly the terms we ask. How could we bear that burden? How could we bear that burden of being the omniscient God? That you, what you want, when you want it, how you want it, happens immediately. It would bury us in, 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 in anxiousness. How could we possibly know? What this passage does give us is it promises us that God absolutely does hear us when we pray and that ultimately he will answer with what is absolutely best for us. To address a few other objections, there, there are really two big objections, I think, that come to my mind uh, to this commitment to Christian prayer. The first big objection is that prayer really isn't it kind of unnecessary. I mean, if you look around at the world today, all kinds of people get what they want without ever praying for it. I mean, you look across the world, look at, at all the areas of um, all sorts of pursuits, be it athletic, be it business-wise, be it relationally. There are all kinds of people who find good jobs, who have success in sports, who have, have find relationships, have kids, have all of these things, and never once utter a prayer for it. So what's the big deal? I mean, there's all sorts of success success, I'll put air quotes around, there's all sorts of success that is to be found out there without ever uttering a prayer. So isn't it kind of unnecessary? So many get what they want and have their needs met without ever murmuring a single prayer. And that's true. I mean, you can't, it's really unarguable that I'm sure you have people in your lives that you know never really pray, but are, have the things they think that they want. But we have to ask at some level, are they, if what they are getting is what uh, is of ultimate value? 
Jesus says, if you gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul, what really have you gained? What really have you gained? That is to say, if you never once cry out to God and your life goes wonderfully, have you actually had a good life? If everything goes just the way you want it to, no sickness, no sorrow, no disease, no trouble, relationships go great, you're economically well off, everything is just wonderful, but you've never once cried out to God and at the final analysis, you on your deathbed, have you had a successful life if you've never ever <laughs> turned to God? And in the final analysis, you will find your life has not been successful at all you'll find yourself still under God's wrath and judgment, very much so as one who has never turned from their sin and looked to Christ. You'll find yourself dead in your sins and at enmity with God. So I suppose, in a way, prayer is, in many cases, totally useless if all you want is the things of this world. I hope you want more than just the things of this world. I hope we want more than just relief from certain circumstantial uh, events in our life. I hope you want more than that. Because getting that and not having Jesus is to be the fool who has gained the world but forfeited their soul. It hasn't gained you really anything. But if you want Jesus, if you want God himself, if you want his peace, if you want his security, his love, if you want to live by his strength and perseverance through every trial that comes your way, not just always getting to skip the trial, but having God's support and love and care for you through the trial, if you pray and seek for that, if you're seeking for something more than what this world can give you, what you need, that what you need can only come by His grace and from Him, then as one who is dependent upon God, He answers those prayers. So one of the objections is that prayer is unnecessary. Another objection is that prayer, it's, it's, un, it's unprofitable. It's unnecessary. You can get what you want without God. So it's a godless way of thinking. It's getting the world and losing your soul but it's, it's an accurate statement. You can get what you want if all you want is to think of this world. It's unnecessary. But also the accusation, accusation comes in, it's unprofitable. How many times have I prayed for some certain situation and it hasn't gone the way I wanted it to go? And I could list out for you a laundry list of things and get all emotional and talk about all the, the heartbreak that has been that I was convinced this is the thing that need to ha needed to happen and yet it didn't happen. So, so many times the requests we make do not get the answers that we want. It's so easy to object to this passage of Scripture with a simple claim of an unanswered prayer to say, well, I asked and I didn't get the answer I wanted. It's so easy to come against this passage like this. But again, this is not a promise that God becomes our genie in a lamp that with a proper amount of coaxing, He will do what we want Him to do. This is a promise that God will answer and give us as our good Father what is good for us, what we need most, what will produce in the final analysis His greatest glory and our greatest joy. Jesus then tells us we ought to ask because 
we receive. And then Jesus gives us the reason for this confidence here in our passage. What is the reason for our confidence? If you who then are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? He will give what is good for us. The reason He gives us for our confidence that we will ask and get what we need because we have a good Father who gives good gifts to His children. And Jesus, again, not only, He's such a good teacher. The the illustrations of ask, seek, and knock, and then He goes to fatherhood and kids and what parent, when, when the kid asks for something to eat, gives them a rock, something that's going to hurt them. Or when he asks for a fish, gives him a serpent. It's kind of like it. It's got scales, but then it's a venomous snake. It's going to bite you and hurt you. What father, even, and he says wicked, evil, talking about the fallenness, the limitedness of, of man, what father doesn't want to give good things to his kids? How much more so, it's a, it's a, it's a greater than argument, if we want that, How much more so do you think your father wants to do good for you? If we who are fallen, as fathers, as parents, as even in relationships that we are in, want to do good for those we care about, how much more so will our father in heaven want to do good for those that he loves? And what blows me away on this passage is, I greatly desire to give good gifts to my kids. Like, we just went on vacation, right? We were gone and got sick on vacation. I did. But anyway, we went on vacation. And I'm sitting, and we're, we, spent, we spent a lot of money on our vacation. We want to go, and we want to have a good time. And, and we go to the Lego store, right? And I love Legos. Grow up doing Legos. Joel loves Legos. Jana loves Legos. And we go in there, and Darla's like, now, let's not spend over this amount of money on Legos. <laughs> We're at Disney World, and we're in the Lego store. And there's a really nice Lego set that's a few dollars more than the one. And, 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 and in that moment, what's a good gift for my kid at that point? Is it, like, I, 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 this is an honest struggle. I'll be just like, okay, am I producing rampant materialism in my kids by just getting them this giant Lego set they want? You know, or am I producing, like, we had fun and dad wanted to, to give me good things and wanted to build nice stuff. And I don't have the wisdom to know with 100% certainty what the best gift is there in the moment. I don't. I mean, do you know that struggle? Like of what, when your kid asked to, you know, watch this show, you know, and stay up 20 minutes past their bedtime and you've already told them no once and you kind of want to collapse. Like, well, I've said no, but maybe it's okay. And, and I don't have the wisdom to know what his best gift for them. I just don't. But I want to do good, but I don't know what it is. God doesn't struggle there. He doesn't struggle to know what's best for you. He does not struggle to figure out what what do you most need in this certain moment. This is where God and fallen parents differ greatly. Not only does God the Father desire to give good gifts to his children, he knows exactly what is good and best for them. And he has the power to do it. He has the power to do it. It's not just that God has the desire for good for us. He knows what is perfect for you, desires to give it to you, and he has the power to perform it. What's God's primary answer to every prayer for his people? Luke, like I said earlier, 
in his sermon that he records there. And it's in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. You can look it up. But following it, he uses another illustration, another good illustration of, a, of beseeching your friend. But um, he says that Jesus speaks of God as his good father who will give. But how much more so will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus at one point teaches that that way. Not just will your father give good gifts to those who ask him, but your father who is in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So there's this realization, I think, when you look at both of these passages and what God gives, is that what Jesus, speaking of this good father who gives, gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask, the idea is that in everything, our primary prayer ought to be and the one that God will always answer is to give us more of himself. What is absolutely most beneficial to you is more of him, more peace from him, more of his love, more of his security, more of himself. Prayers like, God, give me eyes to see you in the midst of this. It was, it was difficult to pray as Various times my, my wife would be in the hospital and, you know, getting different tests done. And, and many of you have been in the same situation where you're, you're, you're in the middle of a test and, you know, the, it's, it's excruciating to have them. They've taken the sample or whatever and it's like, we'll let you know in a week. I'm like, what am I going to do for a week? Like, I gotta, or, or even if it's a few hours or a day, what am I going to do? And the prayer is, God, I want this to turn out this way. Absolutely, God wants you to pray that prayer. But the prayer on top of that is, God, no matter how this turns out, Draw me closer to you. What I need more than this result or that result, what I need is you. What I need is you. God, give me eyes to see you in this. God, give me a heart that trusts you through this. Give me faith to believe you. Open my heart to love you more and your gospel more. And those are prayers for God and for His will to be done. But also, I don't want to take the power out of this passage in that God does delight to answer specific petitions in your prayers, specific requests in your prayers. It's not the case that we have to remember, okay, God's will is different than mine, so don't expect that when I ask for this, he's ever going to do it. That's not true either. That is not true either. The thrust of this passage is that God does want to hear our prayers and because he delights to answer them. The thrust that he does want to answer our prayers because he delights to. And it may very well be the case that in the mystery of God and his timing, he is simply, I'm going to use the term waiting, which I think is tough to talk about a God who is outside of time as waiting. But there is a sense in which God might be waiting to hear your prayer, that he, could, he would answer it in time for your joy in him, for his glorification, that I turned to God and he did it. And I can't tell you as many, how many stories have happened like this in my life where I'm living a practical atheist life of I'm not turning to God. I have this need or I have this issue in front of me and I've never prayed about it. And Darla and I will have this conversation sometime um, why haven't we prayed about this? Like, I don't know if you ever had this moment, like, you're, it's a, it's, it feels like it's beneath God. And you're like, oh, I, you know, it's not a big enough thing to ask God for. And so you don't really ever spend time praying for it. And then, like, the realization, we've had two or three of these times this past year where it's like, um, well, we're Christians. <laughs> God is our Father. He delights to do good for us. Maybe we should ask Him. 
and then pray. And there have been times that it was a week later. The very thing that hadn't happened for months all of a sudden happens. God delights to answer his prayers, to answer the prayers of his people because it does increase our joy in him and his glory as we've come to him as dependent people and he has, he has answered the prayers of his people. So then how do we wrap up this passage What is the encouragement Jesus is seeking to give to his people? The encouragement is that, as we said at the start, we have a God who hears and who delights as Father to do good for his people and who is wise enough to know exactly what that good is and powerful enough to perform it. And what that produces in the king's people is a glad dependence And it trains us to trust our King. If God is your Father through faith in Jesus Christ, why are we anxious? If God is our Father through Jesus Christ, why are we anxious? He will give good gifts to His children. Why are we depressed? God hears you and is for you and is working for your ultimate good. Why are you lonely? God cares for you. Why are you sad? Ask your Father and know that he works only what is good for his people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. As we look at a passage like this, and and arguing from the lesser to the greater, knowing our own hearts and how much we long to do good for those we love and care for, but are oftentimes so limited, and then knowing that you are not and, and, and even as, as sinful and fallen and messed up as we all are wanting to do good for those we love, what would the holy and righteous and perfect God who loves his people, who gave his son to redeem them from their sins, how much more will that God delight to do good for his people, to answer their prayers when they ask him? Father, give us eyes to see you. Work repentance in our hearts that we might turn from sin and look to Jesus, our King, who gave his life to save us, to make us, to bring us into your family, that we might be adopted and know you as Father so that we can confidently say, my Father who is in heaven longs to give good gifts to his children. And so I rest my life I rest my circumstances. I rest every area of who I am in your hands, making my requests, laying out before you my desires, but ultimately trusting you who will give good things to his children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.